We're going to start with a scripture in Isaiah. It's 55, verses 8 and 9. God's talking, and he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And God is telling us something about ourselves here. While oftentimes we may think that we know what's best, um, and we may think that we know the way, God is saying, your ways are not right. You need to come to my ways. And so Micah gives us an opportunity when uh, in the fourth chapter, second verse, tells us that in this day, Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, that we may walk in his paths. And so God, you know, this year, this year we've started talking about the ways of God. And our uh, charge is to lay down our ways and pick up his ways. Um, I know that over the last two weeks, there has been a word that says, lay down your ways, lay down your ways. And sometimes we get very comfortable in our ways, and we think that our ways are, well, this is just the way it is. And God's saying, no, you need to come to me and listen and learn of my ways. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Galatians, said, For this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the gospel in a summary right there. We are to walk in his ways, ways that please him, ways that bear fruit. We are image bearers of Jesus Christ. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are those who walk down here as light in darkness. And the charge to us is walk in a manner worthy. Learn his ways and walk in them. Ephesians says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And our charge as we walk down here is to become mature believers, to become those who have grown up, who don't get tossed about by every wind of doctrine, who uh, do not give way to the cultures of the world we are to be those who are examples. We are to be those who are light. We are to be those who shine in this dark place. Last week, um, Alan talked about testing. And one of the examples he gave was when the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, they sent spies in. 
And those spies came back and they gave two reports. So they said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they brought back these grapes that they had to carry on two uh, on their shoulders with between between them uh, latched onto a pole and the the charge was this is the land god has given us let's go in but there's something there there are giants there are giants in the land and as we journey down here we all know that there are giants. There are giants in the land. You face giants every day. I face giants. But that is the test. Are you going to believe what God has said? I so appreciated what Rosie said. It, God loves me. And it came as a revelation. God loves me. And I'm telling you, God loves you. And he wants to give you the, his ways. He wants to teach us his ways. Because so many times our ways, well, I've gone off the track a lot of times in my life. But God's faithful. God will test us to help us grow. Ooh! I just want roses and lollipops. I don't want to test. But you know he will test you. He brings us into relationships with people. He brings us into relationships with people in the church. Talk about test. He has some of us get married. Talk about test. <laughs> he gives some of us kids. <laughs> Talk about tests. We have tested all sorts of relationships. We have tests at work. We have tests at school. We have money tests. Money tests. And all of these tests are designed by God to teach us his ways. Will you walk in my ways? Will you go into the land that I'm giving you? Or will you say, no way, the giants are too big. So, oh, this is why I failed my geometry test. And sometimes, see, the point is that sometimes we don't understand the test. Find X. Well, right there it is. And God said, no, that's not the test. You're not understanding what I'm trying to do in you. So, the title of today's lesson is This is Only a Test. Now, most of you, I, know, I don't know about most of you, but a lot of you, when I was a kid growing up, and actually we didn't even have TV till I was about five years old, but when I was like 12, 13, 14, 
and I would watch television. I want you to understand that at 11 o'clock, that was the end. There was no television. All you got was snow. But before you got to the snow, they did two things. One is they ran this and they ran it for 30 seconds and they said, this has been a test of the emergency broadcasting system. If this had been an actual test, you would, or an actual emergency, you would have been given. And so, you would have been given. And then they played the national anthem and that was it. Ah, on Saturday night though, and I don't know about those of you who are old enough to remember, but on Saturday night, it was special because they ran television till 11 o'clock, or till um, one o'clock, two extra hours. And so when I was, a, you know, and I'd get to watch a movie, uh, which uh, there would be the news would start at 11, and then at 11.15, the news was over, and then the movie would start in at one o'clock. It didn't even matter if the movie was over. And you got snow. So, <clears throat> test. I want you to remember. You know, and that's something that uh, Danny and I have, she knew what I was teaching on. And uh, throughout the, she knows that I've been, listen, if I'm going to teach on it, I'm going to have tests. And she knows that I have been through a lot of tests um, this week and last week. And you sit down and you sit back and you say, Lord, I want to pass this test. And sometimes it requires you to forgive. Sometimes it requires you to love. Sometimes it requires you to stretch yourself beyond what you think you are able to stretch. And what you don't want to happen is you don't want anger to build up in there, and you don't want bitterness to show up, and you don't want to have returning evil for evil. Because that feels good. Get them back. God said, that's not my way. My way is for you to forgive, for you to extend kindness, for you to be a light. And so, therefore, from Romans, let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. And that's part of our test, is God wants to see how well you are listening to his voice and how well you are responding to him. Just that simple. And so my wife would say, it's only a test. And I'd say, yeah, it's only a test. So, oh, I want to tell you about um, uh, one of the first tests I ever remember. Uh, it was a money test. And... This was back in the early days of ATM machines. And I had gotten an, one of those little cards that you put into the machine and you get money out of it. And believe me, we had no money in the bank account, but I remember being in a mall in State College, Pennsylvania, and I thought, I'm going to get $20. I'm going to use this fancy-dancy thing. And I had my PIN number, and I put it in, and I hit $20. 
and I hear the machine go. And it opens up. And there are fistfuls of $20 bills. Fistfuls. And you know what I said? Praise God. Manna from heaven. And then my wife said, you're not going to keep that money, are you? <laughs> well, yeah. It's a bank. They got lots of money. They won't miss a couple of fistfuls of 20s. <sighs> okay. I take 120, put it in my pocket, take the fistful. And you should have seen the teller. I went in and I said, I got all these 20s out of your machine out front. You better take closer attention to it and maybe shut it down. And walked out. I, I, I think I passed that test. Now, I'm not going to tell you all the tests I failed. <laughs> so... Testing, and this is the title of today's, although it's, it's the subtitle of today, testing's an opportunity. We have a tendency not to look at it as an opportunity. We happen to look at it as, God, get me out of here. I don't want to do this. We don't look at it as an opportunity. And I understand that. But it really is. It's an opportunity for us to say, God, I am learning your ways and I want to walk in them. If we look at, I mean, these were just ones that came off the top of my head. Uh, all of these people, and that's the reason Scripture is given to us, so that we can learn from them. It's given to our, the Old Testament is given to us for our instruction. You look at Adam and Eve. They only had one, one, one rule don't eat from that tree. Right, we won't, Lord. Yeah. Noah. Noah had a, hey, I want you to build an ark. Oh, an ark? What's an ark? Uh, Abraham, you know, Abraham had the, one of the toughest tests, you know. Are you willing to give me your son? Yes, Lord, I'm willing. And he passes the test. Joseph, Joseph is thrown into prison. He's sold into slavery. He's um, accused falsely. All tests. And in the end, there his brothers show up. He's second in command in Egypt, and there they are in front of him. And these are the ones that threw him into prison. These are the ones who sold him into slavery. All I need to do is say one word, and they'll all be in prison for the rest of their lives. But he doesn't say that. He passes the test. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Woo! Uh, Moses, Moses, you know, we're going to cross the Red Sea. Yeah, right. 
uh, Elijah. Elijah is Mount Carmel. He, he, God shows up and then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you before the end of the day. And what does he do? He runs. He runs and hides. Esther. Esther's asked to offer her life. You go before the king, but if the king doesn't say that you are to be there, you are a dead girl. Will you go? Will you step into that? And she does. Gideon. Gideon's told, hey, I want you to beat the Midianites with 300 men. 300 men? Do you know how many they have? It's a test. It's just a test. Ruth, Ruth, who are you going to follow? Are you going to go back to the Moabites or are you going to follow the living God? And then she says, I, I'm going to follow you, Naomi. I'm going to make your God my God. Job. Who? Job loses his family, his kids, loses his house, loses his possessions, loses his health. That's a test. David. Oh, yeah, Bathsheba. Remember Bathsheba? Ooh, you didn't make it there, David. And Jesus, who? That garden. That garden of Gethsemane. Oh, Lord. Pass this, let this test pass from me. Let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. See, and he passes the garden test. Adam and Eve failed the garden test. So, testing is a way of God. Let's look at a couple of scriptures in uh, Exodus, or I'm sorry, um, we'll look at these scriptures. Uh, Exodus 16, then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Now, it's a pretty simple test. Gather enough for one day, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you how much you should gather. And so he tells them how much for one family they should gather, and don't gather except on the Sabbath, and then on the Sabbath you can get two days' worth. Well, did they listen? No. They've, not all of them. They failed the test. And when they failed the test, what happened to the extra that they had? Turned into worms. Mmm, yummy. Deuteronomy 13, 3 and 4. For the God, the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. Quite a test. Do you love God? And are you willing to follow his commandments, cling to him, listen to his voice? It's a test. We have been given the Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, to lead us, and to listen to his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Listen to me. Listen to me. 
And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. See, there's a testing that brings about the fear of God. Do you fear God? Because he's still a holy God. He is the creator. And he's the one who's brought you out of darkness. But the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And the last testing that I really want to talk about from the Old Testament, and you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, I hate to be the bearer of bad news after such a wonderful morning, but I'm about to tell you something that's really going to shock you. You are hearing this message, and you know something? God is going to test you. No! Yeah, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to cling to him. It's an opportunity for you to listen to his voice. It's an opportunity for you to walk in his ways. So if we look at this, these are the things that Israel went through to see whether they would walk in my instruction, whether they would love the Lord with all their heart and soul, whether they would follow him, fear him, listen to his voice, serve him, cling to him, depart from sin, or keeping his, keeping his commandments. All test. Now, you are all individuals, and you are all loving the Lord and following after him, and he is going to bring you to a place where you will have to say, I lay down my life, and I follow your ways, not my own. Um, this is really a test. It's kind of an interesting test that Jesus is talking about. He says in six, chapter 16, verse 10 in Luke, he who is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in very little things is also unrighteous in much. And it's really, it's really a test. He's talking about a test. If you're faithful in little things, well, there's room, uh, there's room to give you opportunity for being faithful in larger things. And so, you know, did you sign up to make the coffee? And then do you show up to make the coffee? <laughs> faithful in little things. Did you sign up to help in Grace Kids? And then did you show up? Did you promise someone you would do something and then not do it? It's all about being faithful and little and God testing you to see, hey, remember teaching last week? Your voice, what you say, what you speak. It's not necessarily about swearing, it's about your word and what you say 
and how you respond to what you've said. Jeremiah 17 remembers that I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. See, God looks at the heart. And he knows what's in your heart. And he will test your heart to see whether you respond. And I'll give you, I'll give you what you want. If you touch the hot stove, you're going to get burned. My ways say don't touch the hot stove. And I want to touch it. Remember, I've told you this story a thousand times, but I'm gonna, this is a thousand and one, and then maybe I'll be done. Um, the, the, <laughs> there's a story of the, the, the kid, uh, and they're in church, and the father has the kid next to him, and the kid's standing in the pew. And the father says, sit down. And the kid says, I don't want to sit down. The father says, sit down. I don't want to sit down. So the father reaches over, plumps the kid down. And the kid, one of those little bubble things, he said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the outside. His heart was not sitting. His heart was standing. And God looks at that. He can see it. I can't. You can put on a happy smile and say, I hate what I'm doing. And I won't know that. But God does. Oh, Job, we're going to deal with Job a couple of times this morning. But from Job 7, 17, he says, What is man, he's asking God, that you, are, that you magnify him, that you are concerned about him, that you examine him every morning? You, God's going to look at you every morning when you get up. But more than that, he says, and try him every moment. 1,440. Number of minutes in a day. Now, you're going to use up, assuming you got here about 10 o'clock and you'll be leaving here around 1130, you're going to use up 90 of those minutes. And if you sleep, which I think you do, you're going to use up 480 of those minutes on an eight-hour day or an eight-hour sleep. I don't know whether you with young children, I remember when our kids were little, we didn't sleep for months. <laughs> months. I'm glad, I was glad I was young. Uh, well, that's going to leave you once you start backing all this out, with about 870 minutes that God has opportunity to talk to you, his opportunity to speak to you. Are you listening? Are you responding? He has opportunity to test you. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to expand all of this and some of this stuff I'll talk about next week. But I liked, do you ever have anybody say, got a minute? 
got a minute? Just changed it. Got a minute. Let God know that he's watching every minute. And he's going to bring on tests. You may be sailing along and miss the whole test. I mean, you know, I, and I've told you this a thousand times, but this is a thousand and one. God tests my patience. Anytime I go to the store, I can guarantee you I will be in the longest line. I can guarantee you that. And then I, because they have to have a price check, somebody forgot their card or their cash. I mean, I'm always amazed at the man. Who's the man? The man who gets up to the register. They ring these things through, and then he goes, oh. Didn't he know that they were going to have to pay for this stuff? Didn't he have enough sense to say, get your card out or your cash out? Oh, oh, I got it. It's somewhere here. And so I'm behind him, I'm telling you. Or how about the guy who pulls out in front of you? Didn't he see me coming? Why don't you just give him the bird? That'll fix him. No, it's a test. How are you going to respond? God bless you. <laughs> My wife will say, you failed. It's just a test. Okay, so the question is, how many times do I want to go through that? Because God is faithful. God, and he's persistent. He doesn't forget. He knows, he happens to know what he's doing. And he loves me enough, loves me enough that he wants me to walk in his ways and he wants to teach me his ways. Job, will it be when he examines you or will you deceive him as one deceives a man? You're not going to deceive God. You can deceive man. But when he looks and shines the light and gives you the test, he knows whether you're playing a game or not. He knows what's in your heart. Don't think that you can deceive him. Oh, Lord, I just so love this. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You can't deceive me, God. Okay. Sometimes... In the midst of all of that, we are asked to test ourselves. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Are you do, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. The point is to pass the test. And sometimes you need to ask yourself, am I passing these tests? Where am I at? Am I growing in God? Am I learning his ways? Or am I just showing up at church, 
saying, I got my 90 minutes in, and now I'm going to watch the football game. Well, now I want to get to Hezekiah. We don't do too much with Hezekiah. You guys can turn in your Bibles to the book of Hezekiah. That might help you. Oh, you guys are really sharp, okay? First time I ever had that pulled on me, I was busy. Hezekiah, where's Hezekiah? I, I want to give you a little history. Just so this guy has some sort of background to you. Um, Israel, after they have come out of Egypt and finally gone into the promised land, uh, each of the tribes was divided and they got a portion of the, the land. And if you're reading in your Bible, that's the time of the judges. But after a while, they decided that they wanted a king. And so they said, Lord, give us a king. And he gave them Saul. And when that happened, all of Israel, the 12 tribes, united around Saul. They became one unified empire. They go through David as one unified empire. They go through Solomon as one unified. And after Solomon dies, there's a big riff. And they break into two parts. The northern part is called Israel. And it's called, in literature, it's called the Northern Kingdom. And it's comprised of ten tribes. The Southern Kingdom is called Judah. And it is comprised of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And just to give you an idea, so when you are reading about Elijah and Elisha, um, they are prophets to the northern kingdom. You start to read about Isaiah, he's a prophet to the southern kingdom. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all prophets to the southern kingdom, Judah. So sometimes you'll read in your Bible and you'll say, well, Judah, yeah. He's, he's downstairs, isn't he? Um, no, it's the southern kingdom that he's talking about. Um, and the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom has uh, Jerusalem as their capital. The northern kingdom uh, is, establishes two capitals where they worship. Uh, and they worship in, uh, in a place called in Dan, and they worship in Bethel. And the first king of the northern kingdom, Israel, decides that it's a good idea to have a couple of golden calves. And so he establishes a golden calf in Dan and one in Bethel. And that's where they're to worship. They're not going down to Jerusalem. That's where Judah is and that southern tribe. About this time, when this is all going on, uh, the northern king kingdom is going to go through 20 kings during that time, this time, and not a one of them is considered a good king. 
And about 522, which is when the last king is in northern kingdom, the empire of Assyria has grown in to be extremely powerful, and they march on the northern kingdom and overthrow it. The king of Assyria then sets his eyes on Judah, the southern kingdom. And he happens to show up there when Hezekiah is the king. And so that's where we're going to pick this story up uh, about Hezekiah. Hezekiah, his dad was Ahaz. And his dad was a bad dude. Um, he shut down the temple, uh, ended all the sacrifices, ended the Levitical priesthood, um, uh, stopped the Passover, uh, stopped the Sabbath, um, and set up idols to worship in the mountains, in the high places. Hezekiah comes along, who follows, and that was his dad, so you can't say the apple falls too close to the tree because Hezekiah is one of the good kings in the southern kingdom. And he begins to have reform. He reestablishes the temple, reestablishes Passover, reestablishes, he tears down all of the uh, idols that have been brought forth. And um, so we'll read, so you get a little idea of what he's doing. Uh, and don't forget, we got this Assyrian king coming down, and this is the year 522. So from 2 Kings, and this is Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. Well, that's pretty, pretty powerful. None of the kings before him or after him has had such high esteem as this Hezekiah. For he clung to the Lord. He did not part from following him, but he kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. And we're going to get into a little bit more of that in a minute. And he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Okay, he's following the king, or he's following the Lord. He's doing great. In 2 Kings, and he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Now, don't forget, now he's getting a higher status. David's been done dead for 200 years. But they are equating him to the great king of all of Israel, David. And so he had done that his father, they make that connection, had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. Um, the Asherah uh, were like, they would take, they'd take a stone this big and then they'd put another stone on it this big and this big and this big and this big and then they would bow down and worship it. Uh, and they called it that, pretended it was the goddess of Asherah, who was a fertility god, goddess. Uh, and so he has those torn down. Well, you know, that's not, the, the people are not real pleased with this because that's who we were worshiping. He doesn't care. Second Chronicles. 
Uh, and this is more about Hezekiah. And thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. And he did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. And every work which he began in the service of the house of God, in law and in commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. I want to be on his team. He's doing what's right in the sight of the Lord. Well, Hezekiah is going to come to some tests. And this is the first test. Hezekiah, oh, wait a minute, let me tell you what happened here. Uh, the king of Assyria sends his general uh, to Jerusalem, and they're standing outside the walls, and the general says, listen, we have defeated Samaria and all of their gods. We've defeated uh, the northern kingdom uh, and their gods. Uh, uh, you're not going to be able to stop us. I'll tell you what, you just surrender now, and we'll just take you into exile. And when we take you into exile, we'll give you a piece of land and olive trees, and we'll just treat you right. Just surrender. And in the process of that, uh, this general begins to uh, blaspheme Yahweh. And so the general says, I'm going to put this in writing, and he sends a letter to Hezekiah that outlines all of that. And Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messenger and read it. And what did he do? He went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel who is enthroned above the cherim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. And what he's done in the midst of this trial, he's surrounded there. He says, I'm going to cry out to my help. I'm going to cry out to the Lord. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and listen to the words of the Assyrian king, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Now, here's Isaiah. Isaiah is the prophet. And the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah, and Isaiah goes to Hezekiah, and he says, And Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me about the king of Assyria, I have heard you. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. And he says, basically, God says, I'll send a spirit to him. He'll become afraid, and he will return to his own country where he will be slayed. And guess what happens? He returns to his own country. He goes in to the temple to talk to his God and his two sons kill him. Well, Hezekiah did pretty well there. Whew! Test number two, here it comes. Get ready. And in those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Not so you get that word. Better get your house in order. 
Isaiah said it. But no, Hezekiah says, I, you know, I remember in test one, I went to the Lord. So this is test two. I'm going to go to the Lord. And he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord saying, Lord, remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee how I have walked before thee in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it came about before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court that the word of the Lord came to Isaiah again. Oh, well, Isaiah's on his way out. Hezekiah has turned to the Lord. He's weeping. And Hezekiah, or Isaiah returns and says, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. And on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add 15 years to your life. And will deliver you from this city, from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Test two. Now if you got that word, get your house in order. You're going to be like Hezekiah? Lord, this is bad news. But I beseech thee, you have called me out of darkness. You have loved me as a child. Grant me, grant me extra life. Now, Hezekiah had immense riches and honor. And he made for himself treasures of, for silver and gold, treasuries for silver, gold, precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuable articles. Storehouses also for the produce of grain, wine, and oil. Pens for all kinds of cattle. Sheepfolds for the flocks. He's really prospering. He's got money coming out his wallet. And he made cities for himself and acquired flocks and herds in abundance. For God had given him very great wealth. It was Hezekiah who stopped the upper outlet of the waters of uh, uh, Giha and directed them to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all that he did. Uh, what he had done was he realized that if they came under siege, they would need water. And so he redirected, almost like an aqueduct, uh, so that the city would always have a flow of water, even if they were surrounded by an enemy. So he did all that was in all that he did, he prospered. Test number three. Here we go. This is it. Now, from Second Chronicles 32:31. And even in the matter of the envoys of the rulers of Babylon, who sent to him to inquire and wonder what had happened in the land. See, there is a new, there is a new, um, since the death of the Assyrian king, there is a new empire beginning to develop. And that empire is called Babylon. And that's the one who will uh, eventually overthrow Judah. That's the one who will take David into cap 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 captivity. Uh, not David, uh, Daniel. Uh, that's the one that Ezekiel and Jeremiah will talk about. Uh, and so the king of Babylon sends 
envoys to Hezekiah, and they bring him a present. And they say, we heard you were sick. You're better now. That's really good. And we've heard that everything in you're prospering. We are amazed at that. Can you show us what you're doing? God left him alone only to test him that he might know all that was in Hezekiah's heart. Okay, Hezekiah, you have all this wealth, all this prosperity, and now you're being flattered with words by these Babylonians. And at that time, Baradak, Baladine, the son of Baladine, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah listened to him and showed them all the treasure house and all the silver and all the gold and all the spices and all the precious oils in the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his house nor in his dominion that Hezekiah didn't show them. Now, this is not really wisdom, is it? Here's a potential enemy. You say, oh, look at all the wealth I have. Look at our armor. And he showed him everything. These are our secret weapons, blah, blah, blah. God did that to test him. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say and where have they come to you? And Hezekiah said, they have come from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, and what have they seen in your house? And so Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasuries that I have not shown them. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Before the days are coming, when all that is in your house, all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons who shall issue from you, whom you shall beget, shall be taken away, and they shall come become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, this is not a good prophecy. This is, this is bad, you know? Uh, we're surrounded by the Assyrians. Oh, God, I need your help. We're, <clears throat> I'm dying. Oh, God, I need your help. All that you have is going to be taken away from you. Your children are going to be eunuchs in Babylon. What's in your heart? Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Good. Wait a minute. For he thought, it is not so, if there shall be peace and truth in my days. Now the acts of Hezekiah and all his might, and now he made the pool of the conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of Chronicles in the kings of Judah? So Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh, his son, became king in his place. This is an okay prophecy. Do you know why he thought it was okay? Because there was not necessarily immediate adversity to him. 
He said, okay, yeah, um, I'm going to live out the rest of my days in peace, and I'm going to still keep all that I have. Wow. It's going it's to suck to be them, isn't it? But <laughs> Me? I, I'm okay. I'm, I'm just going to take this. Hezekiah passed the tests of adversity, but he failed the test of prosperity and peace. See, if we look at this, we have to understand that Hezekiah, having gone to the Lord, gone to the Lord, this time he just rolls over on it. And he says, eh. The passing of the test would have been, oh, Lord, I repent of what I have done, and then reached out to God. He didn't. He just said, ah. And so what we learn from Hezekiah is that we pass tests, and sometimes we fail tests. And the opportunity when we fail is always to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, teach me your ways. Let me walk in your paths that I may be pleasing to you. That I may be a light in this dark place. Proverbs 17.3 says, The refiner's pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests your heart. The Lord is about testing that ye see if you will walk in his ways. That's what this year is about. This year is about learning to walk in his ways, laying down my ways, your ways, our ways, and learning to walk in what he has for us, his ways. Psalm 139 says, verses 23, 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I uh, used to cut this out of my Bible. So I don't really have Psalm 139 in my Bible at all. We just pass it by. It goes 138 to 140. But in the course of time, I learned he's going to test me anyway because he's faithful. And so that can be my prayer. Show me if there be any way in me that's not pleasing to you. Teach me your ways that I may walk in the everlasting ways, not in my own ways. So as we leave here today, let that be your prayer. Oh, no. Yeah, let it be your prayer. He ain't going to do it anyway because he loves you. And he wants you to walk in his ways. So you might as well just get on with it because he wants to teach us. And I so appreciated the fact that we this morning's worship was about love because he loves us. Don't think he doesn't love you. Don't think that when you go through a test, he hates you. No, he just wants you to learn to walk in his ways. He wants you to learn patience. He wants you to learn love. He wants you to learn kindness. He wants you to learn compassion. 
Because that's who he is. I want you to walk in my ways, not in your ways. Amen? Amen. Amen.